So we are in the last week of a sermon series that we've called Questionable Lives. Uh, and it's based on this amazing book called Surprise the World by Michael Frost. And so this is like week six. So if it's your first time with us or if you haven't been here for a while, I think you're gonna be able to get caught up okay today. You'll understand what we're talking about. But um, if you want some more context about this, a couple things you could do. You can go to our website, mycbcb.com, and there you can find old sermons and watch those and get caught up. Or if it's your first time with us, if you'll go back to our Connection Center today, they will give you a copy of this book. It's a really easy read, really great read. I think it's an important book. And so we would love just to say thank you for coming to church by giving you a copy of that book. Um, it's, it's all about how regular people, right? People like us, people who aren't amazing evangelists and who aren't incredible public speakers can be part of the instructions that Jesus gave us in Matthew 16, 15, and he said, go into the world and preach the good news to everyone. And that good news that he was talking about is that God's amazing kingdom is coming to this broken world. And, and when God's kingdom has fully come, there will be no more fear. There will be no more shame. There will be no more death. There will be no more pain. There will be no more hate. And in this coming kingdom, Jesus is king, and he is going to make all things new, and he is gonna dry every tear, and he is gonna undo every ugly thing that has been done in this world by sin and pride and hate, and his kingdom will be perfect. And even though we're not perfect, He's provided a way for even broken people like us to be citizens of this perfect kingdom through his death and his resurrection. And he's bringing his, listen, he's included people like us as citizens. Look around. Amen. I mean, come on. And and not not only can we be citizens, he's bringing the kingdom through us. And he's, he's sent us to get this good news out, and it is a huge, important responsibility that he's given us. Look at verse 16. It says, anybody that believes and is baptized will be saved and included in this kingdom, and anyone that refuses to believe will be condemned and separated from the kingdom of God. So as Christians, we got a job to do. We have been sent, right? We are called to the mission of spreading this good news about God's kingdom, and I know a lot of us feel like, yeah, that sounds great, man, I wanna do that, I'll, I wanna, I'm gonna get the word out, I, I, will, I want that, but I'm just not that person, you know, I'm not this bold evangelist or something, I don't have the knowledge, I don't have the words, I don't have the platform, and that's the beauty of this book, is that it teaches us that even if you don't have the platform, even if you don't have the perfect words, even if you don't have all of the knowledge, even if you don't have the bold personality of an evangelist, you can still be part of getting this message out and spreading the good news about God's kingdom coming, and all you have to do is live a questionable life. And then when the questions come, answer the questions. But you do it graciously, attractively, gently, and respectfully. And it's important to say that when we say live a questionable life, we're not just talking about being a weirdo. It's a life of what we're calling missional habits. And each one of these habits invites questions from non-believers, and each one of these habits draws us closer to Jesus, and each one of these habits makes us more 
like Jesus. So we've been, we've been learning. We know we're, not, we're not just doing one habit and throwing it away and then another habit and throwing it away. We're stacking them, right? We're just we're making these lifetime habits. And so we've had our acronym BELLS. Remember we have our chart. Matt, can you sell them? There it is. So these are the habits down the left side. We said we were gonna bless three people. At least one of them doesn't go to church with us. That's a habit. It's a missional habit. It's not a missional behavior that happens once. It's a missional habit that we're gonna recur. We're gonna do over and over for the rest of our life. We're gonna bless three people every week, at least one we don't go to church with. The second thing is we're gonna eat with at least three people this week, at least one of them we don't go to church with. And then uh, week three, we said we were gonna listen. We're gonna spend some time every week listening to the Holy Spirit. And then last week, we said at least one period of time during the week we're gonna take just to learn Christ. And then this week's habit is recognizing and reminding ourselves that we are sent. Whether or not we're called to be public evangelists, we do have a part to play in evangelism. If we're, how many are Christians, real quick? Oh, a lot of you, that's cool. So uh, if you're a Christian, you are sent to spread the good news. And so our challenge for this week and every week for the rest of your life, right? Our challenge is, I will journal throughout the week all the ways that I alert others to the coming kingdom of God and its King, Jesus. And I may not do it on a big stage, and I may not do it with eloquent words, but I will alert people to God's coming kingdom and their chance to be citizens of it. So I'm gonna do that. If I'm not an evangelist, right, how am I going to alert people about this coming kingdom? And Michael Frost says in the book, one day we can, one way we can do it for them is that we can preview the kingdom for the people in our lives. Like a little, um, like a tease, a little preview for them of what God's kingdom is. You know, it's like um, coming attractions at the movies, right? When you go to the movies, you get those like minute and a half trailers right before it starts and they show you three or four scenes and what are the, what's the purpose of that? It's, it's to make you wanna see the movie, right? So a lot of you know my wife, Margaret. Margaret and I have been dating for 44 years. So we're thinking about getting married pretty quick. Uh, anyway, we, 44 years, we've gone to hundreds of movies together and I like to get there early because I like the previews. Like, and I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna show you what it's like to be me, okay? This is what it's like to sit next to her. She, at the previews are showing and she watches it and when it's over, she's gonna turn around and I mean, it's yes or no, right now, right? She'll watch it and she'll turn to me and go, oh yeah, we should see that one. And then the next one she'll go like, hard pass. All right, she went, oh, too scary. Oh, that's stupid. I mean, each one, she'll watch each one, and she's making a really big decision here, right? This is a decision, listen, that we're gonna spend like 25 bucks on tickets and 150 on popcorn. I mean, this is a big deal, right? And we're gonna, uh, we're yes or no, and we're making this decision based on four scenes from this movie, why? Because that's what movie trailers do, right? They show you the scenes to whet your appetite, right? And so if it's a funny movie, watch the trailer. It's four funny scenes. Sometimes it's the only funny parts of the movie, right? It's, they show you, if it's a scary movie, what do they show you? Four scary scenes. If it's a romantic movie, what do they show you? Four romantic scenes. If it's an action movie, what do they show you? Four action scenes. And the trailer's job is in 90 seconds, right? In four scenes to make you say, that movie looks amazing. I, like, we've got to see that one, right? When is it coming out? Where is it showing? How do I get tickets? And this is a great metaphor for this week's missional habit for us. We've all been sent so that when people watch our lives, 
right? When people see our habits, when people engage with us in conversations and relationships, we want people to say, God's kingdom looks amazing, right? Like, how can I be part of that? Like, when is that gonna happen? How do I get the tickets? It's our job, we're sent to do that, to preview the kingdom of God for people. So, like, what are we gonna show them? All right, we got, we got a minute and a half, right? We just have our lives. So, so imagine a preview of God's kingdom that only shows four scenes. Like what, what scenes would you choose to give them a little taste, right? Just to whet their appetite, to make them want more, to get them to ask these questions. And there's probably a million things you could do. The book suggests four things. Um, we'll call them four scenes that we can preview with our lives for people that don't know Jesus to whet their appetite for the kingdom. And each one of these scenes is something that every human being has a craving for. Because you know what, just like, you know how fish is created to be in the water, so they crave the water, right? You were created to be in the kingdom of God, so you crave that. So each one of these scenes is something that every human craves, and every one of these scenes is a scene that God's kingdom offers, and every one of these scenes is something that we can preview by showing a glimpse of it, or by working towards it in this broken world. So offering these glimpses, these previews, is a missional habit, right? It's a questionable habit that interests people, and intrigues people, and invites people to ask questions. And so every time we do it, we should write it down. We should journal it, and we should, we should use that as a reminder that we are sent that we are part of this mission. So the first scene is that we're gonna show people reconciliation. Reconciliation, inside each one of us, there is a hardwired craving. Man, there is a love, there is a desire for reconciliation. That's why people love homecomings, right? That's why, that's why when your kids were little, they were so happy to see you when you came home at the end of the day. That, that's why there's so much crying at mortuaries. And that's why there's so much crying at airports. We love reconciliation. We hate separation. And I think it goes back to the garden, um, like everything does, it seems like, when man was first separated from God. Remember the story? God gave man this choice. You can trust me and everything. I'll provide for you. I'll protect you. I'll love you. Everything you need is in me. I'll decide what's good and evil. Or door number two, right? You can try to decide for yourself what's good and what's evil, but if you do, the Bible says, he told them you will surely die. And that's the choice that they made, and they would literally, eventually die. But to the original readers of this, to the ancient Israelites, there was another layer, another thing about death. To them, death meant separation. And we think of death as like ceasing to exist. But in their cosmology, in their world, they thought of death as like separation, when you die, what's happening? Your soul is being separated from your body, right? You are being separated from your friends and family, um, and spiritual death meant being separated from God, and so this separation went against this basic need that's wired into us, that we want connection, and it left us with this longing for reconciliation, so we love this idea of, of, of coming back together. This is why we love reconciliation stories. 
of, of, of people making up and of families getting back together and of prodigals coming home and of some dog walking a thousand miles to be reunited with his master somewhere. So this is why we love stories like, think of, think of books, think of movies. Think of movies that you've seen. No matter what the main theme of, theme of the movie is, almost every movie that you love has at least some theme of reconciliation. And think about um, The Lion King. Right? That's not just the story of Simba coming of age and winning back the throne or whatever. It's, it's the story of him reuniting. It's a story of him reconciling with his soulmate and reconciling with his family and reconciling with his tribe. Don't act like you don't cry when you hear that song. Can you feel? <laughs> The love tonight. Franklin's tearing up right now. Does listen to me singing? I mean, that, it, you know why? Because we love reconciliation, and our world is so segregated. Our world is so separated and siloed. There's so much separation in our world. There's so much division in our world. But God's kingdom is all about reconciliation. In fact, the original intent of Jesus coming and dying and resurrecting was to bring reconciliation, right? It was to fix what got broken, the separation that happened between God and us in the Garden of Eden. But there's another layer of reconciliation that Jesus came to bring, and that was uh, reconciling people to each other. So if you wanna kill about five minutes this afternoon and read a really great chapter in the Bible, check out Ephesians chapter two. Really powerful, amazing chapter. And it starts by talking about how all of humanity was spiritually dead. We were separated from God by our sins, but God loved us so much that even though we were dead in our sins, he raised us to life. And as I show you these passages, I want you to look at all of the reconciliation words that are in these verses. This is uh, Ephesians 2, 6. He raised us from the dead along with Christ. And he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So the first part of this chapter is all about reconciliation of this relationship between God and man, right? Especially between God and the Jewish people. What are you familiar with the Jewish people? If you're not a Jew, what are you? Gentile, okay, keep that in mind. So this is originally talking about this great separation between God and man, and particularly the separation between God and the Jewish people. But then Paul talks directly to the Gentiles, and he says, you Gentiles used to live apart from Christ, here's verse 13, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. But he didn't just reconcile Jewish people to God and Gentile people to God. Jesus also reconciled Jewish people to Gentile people. This is verse 14. He says, Christ himself has brought peace to us and he united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the walls of hostility that once separated us. God's kingdom is a place of reconciliation between God and man, but also between all of mankind. And it, it seems to us, I think, like we have these great divisions now, 
right? We've got all these things to divide, but we're divided by race, we're divided by belief systems and worldviews and political ideologies and social position, generations, oh, I'm a boomer, I'm a millennial, I'm a generation X, Y, Z, we got, what, Republicans and Democrats, and we got Ford people and Chevrolet people. We got people that love cilantro and people that hate cilantro. We got Dallas Cowboy fans and heathens. We got all kinds of division going on. Even, listen, even church denominations, right, are, are pulling apart from each other. And these separations and these divisions have been pulling people apart for decades. I mean, some of them for centuries. And it seems like it's insurmountable division going on, but these divisions are nothing compared to the 2,000-year division between Jews and Gentiles. Think about what that is. That's the people God chose and the people he didn't. And yet Jesus even brought peace and reconciliation to them. The story of Jesus is all about, the Bible is all about, God's kingdom is all about reconciliation. And so it's a scene that everyone craves, that God's kingdom offers, and one way we can preview God's kingdom for people is to model and work towards reconciliation. Because when you work towards reconciliation, whatever that looks like, like if you introduce somebody to Jesus, then yeah, that's, that's working towards this reconciliation, that's awesome. Um, but also when you forgive somebody that hurt you, when you take back a prodigal child, when you reach across social lines, racial lines, cultural lines, political lines, when you work towards reconciliation, your life becomes a preview of the coming kingdom of God. And listen, I know, well, I don't know if that's gonna work. What if it did? How about that? What if it did work? What if you worked towards reconciliation? What if you stood for reconciliation and somebody actually asked you a question? What if somebody said to you, why did you forgive that person after what they did to you? Why would you take them back? They're the ones that left. Why, why, why would you go out of your way to be kind to somebody from that neighborhood? Why would you be so nice to somebody from that political party? Why would you bend over backwards to be friends with somebody from a completely different social status or economic status or race? Wouldn't it be cool if somebody asked you that question and then you said, well, that's the way the kingdom of God is, so that's the way I want my life to be a place of reconciliation. That sounds so crazy, they'll have to ask you some more questions. And when they do, what do we do? We answer them, right? Graciously, attractively, gently, respectfully. So yeah, let's work for reconciliation. And when you do, recognize it as a preview of coming attractions of the kingdom of God. And when you do anything towards reconciliation, journal it, write it down as a reminder that you are sent. You are part of this mission of sharing the good news about God's kingdom. So scene one of our preview of the kingdom of God is reconciliation. Scene two is justice. You know, we all, we all feel a longing for justice. It's, it's, it's built into us, right? Even kids come pre-wired, right, with a sense of fairness. That's why kids always say, Brother gets two cookies and I get one, that's not 
fair, right? That's the word, it's, there's no justice in that. That's, that's not fair, it's in us, even as kids, because God created us in his image, and Psalm 37 tells us that God loves justice. And so we are designed to love and to crave justice. And in God's kingdom, there will be no injustice. But in our broken world, I think humanity's craving and desire for justice has been like tempered or watered, like outweighed by selfishness. So you very seldom hear a kid say, hey, no fair, how come I get two cookies and brother gets one? All right, this, and so our world has become unjust. So let me give you a couple of examples. There's about 700 million people in the world right now living on less than $2 a day. Most of us spend twice that on coffee, right? Say what you want about the causes, but there's not much justice in that. There are two billion people in the world right now that don't have access to clean drinking water. And I complain when my bottled water is unflavored. There's not much justice in that. According to the World Health Organization, children who are born in Sub-Saharan Africa are 15 times more likely to die by the time they're five years old than kids that are born in Europe or America. There's not, there's not a lot of justice in that. According to A21 Ministries, there are about 40 million people in slavery right now in the world. And the monsters that are trafficking them are making about $150 billion a year from it. There's, there's not much justice in that. There are 30,000 kids in Texas that have been removed from their homes because it's unsafe for them there. And now they're in foster care. They didn't do anything to deserve that. This world is a place of great injustice. And when we work for justice here, when we stand for justice now, we don't just relieve pain and suffering here and now, we become a movie trailer for God's kingdom. When you join your efforts with our efforts at CBCB, with our partner ministries, or, or work or give directly to World Vision, or Ransom Life, or Mission India, For Her, the Imani Collective, the uh, Provisions Food Pantry, CASA, when you foster a kid, when you help a foster family, anything you do to fight poverty or abuse or slavery, when you vote for officials and laws that are against discrimination and for justice, you don't just relieve a tiny bit of injustice in this world, you're actually becoming a preview of the justice of God's kingdom and people get a little taste of the kingdom. It whets their appetite for the kingdom and there's intrigue and inspires questions and conversations and wouldn't it be cool if somebody asked you the questions, right? If somebody saw you doing those things and they, man, you really stood up for those people that can't really help you, right? You really gave sacrificially to that cause. Why would you go so far to, to be sure that those people were treated fairly? Why would you give your time and your energy and your money like that. Wouldn't it be cool if somebody asked you that question and you could say, you know, the kingdom of God is a place of justice and he's bringing his kingdom through me. That sounds so weird. There's surely gonna be some questions behind that and when they ask the questions, we know what to do. We answer them graciously, attractively, gently, 
respectfully. Micah 6, 8 says, look, you know what God wants from your life, right? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. So yeah, let's stand for justice. Let's work for justice. And every time you do, remember, you are previewing the kingdom of God. So journal it. Write it down as a reminder that even if you're not a great evangelist, we're all sent. We're all sent to share the good news about God's coming kingdom. Scene three, beauty. Beauty, this is a weird one. Um, Some people may not see beauty as a missional priority, like reconciliation, that makes sense. Um, Justice, obvious. But beauty, beauty is something that we're all drawn to Right? We all have a craving for. I think it's in all of us to appreciate beauty. Beauty moves us. And that's why we love to look at sunrises and mountains and beaches and art. And that's why we're moved by beautiful music or poetry or beautiful acts of kindness. We were created for Eden. We were created for a place of incredible beauty. So we long for that beauty. And God's coming kingdom is like a remix of Eden. Um, look how John describes it. So he's looking into the future. This is Revelation. He's looking into the future, and here's what he sees. It's Revelation 21, 18. He says, he's describing this beautiful scene of God's kingdom, right? The wall was made of jasper, and the city was pure gold, as clear as glass. And the wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with precious stones, jasper, sapphire, emerald, onyx, topaz, amethyst. The 12 gates were made of pearls, and each gate was a single pearl. And the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. And I don't, I don't think that the city walls in the kingdom of God are, you know, literally crusted with jewels or whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't think like in Main Street there's an asphalt crew driving one of those big rollers and they're patching potholes, but instead of asphalt they're dumping gold in the hole. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's what this is. I don't think this is a literal description. I think this is John. He's looking into the future, right? And he is seeing a scene of such indescribable beauty that all he could do was use the most rare, beautiful things in our world as metaphors. That's, that's the kind of beauty that we were created for, and that's the beauty that we long for and that we crave here, and that's the beauty we'll see in the kingdom of God. And our lives can become a tease for that, a trailer for God's kingdom if we just help our friends, help our family encounter beauty, right? Just by, uh, take them to the beach, take them hiking, listen to beautiful music together, read beautiful poetry together, look at beautiful art together, um, or even better, create beauty. I mean, if you can do that, if you can create beautiful art or beautiful music, or beautiful crafts, or beautiful poetry, or beautiful food, if you can create a beautiful rocking chair, whatever, a wood bowl would be awesome. If you could create anything beautiful, or perform a beautiful act of kindness, right? just do something beautiful, and wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be cool if you did, and somebody asked the question? Wouldn't it be beautiful if you, if you exposed somebody to real beauty, and they said, wow, yeah, that sunset is amazing. Wow, oh my gosh, that, that song was so pretty. Oh man, that poem really made me cry. Thanks for taking me to the beach, right? Thanks for the, exposing me to this beautiful scene. Thanks for sharing this beauty. Wouldn't it be cool if somebody said that to you? 
And you said, oh, you know, that's the way the kingdom of God is. It's a place of beauty. And so that's what I want to see. That's what I want to feel. That's what I want to enjoy. And that's what I want to create. I mean, that sounds so crazy. They're bound to ask follow-up questions. What are you talking about, the kingdom of God coming through you? What are you talking about? And when they do, we know what to do, right? Answer the questions graciously, attractively. Are you seeing a trend? Graciously, attractively, gently, respectfully. And Every time you share beauty, every time you create beauty, you are previewing the coming attractions of God's kingdom. So, yeah, write it down. Journal it. This is a reminder that we are sent. Okay, here's our last scene we're gonna look at today. Wholeness, wholeness. Uh, In John seven, you guys probably know the story, John the Baptist is in prison, right? He's about to be beheaded, and he is having a little faith crisis, right? So he sends some of his guys to Jesus, and he says, "Just, just, I mean, we need to be sure, right? So just ask him, like, are you the Messiah or not, you know? Is it you or not? Are you the one bringing in, you are, right? You are, right? You're the one bringing in God's kingdom, right? And it's pretty interesting. They ask the question, but Jesus doesn't say, yeah, I am. I'm the one bringing in God's kingdom. I'm the Messiah. He doesn't say that. And he doesn't get mad at John because he lost his faith. Look what he says. It's Luke seven twenty two. They say, are you the Messiah or not? Are you the one that's bringing God's kingdom in? And Jesus says, go back to John and just tell him what you've seen. Tell him what you've heard. The blind see, the lame walk. Those with leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. What is this? This is Jesus proving that he is the Messiah. He's proving that he is the one bringing in God's kingdom because in God's kingdom, there is no blindness and there is no leprosy and there is, nobody's deaf and nobody's crippled. Everybody is whole. And in John, uh, writing in Revelation 21, four, he says, someday, someday, when God's kingdom is fully come, he will wipe every tear from our eyes and there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. But till then, in our world, we all have some brokenness, right? We all, weakness or, or need from poverty to addiction to loneliness to cancer. And one of the best ways that we can preview God's kingdom is by helping bringing wholeness to broken people. So if you're a doctor, if you're a nurse, if you're a counselor or a paramedic, you have such an opportunity to use those gifts to preview God's kingdom to people. You could so leverage that healing for the kingdom just by saying, you know what, hey, I'm honored to be part of your healing, but I gotta tell you, in the kingdom of God, I'm gonna have to find another job, right? Because there's no brokenness there. It's a place of complete wholeness. And the rest of us, if you're not a doctor or a nurse or a counselor, you can do the same thing. Because anytime we bring wholeness to a broken body or a broken life or a broken family, our lives become previews, pointing people to God's coming kingdom. When you help somebody that's struggling with poverty or hunger or addiction or depression or illness, when you pray for somebody for supernatural healing, that, that is you previewing God's kingdom of, of wholeness. And so 
Each one of these scenes, right? Reconciliation, justice, beauty, wholeness, each one of these is a chance for our lives to preview God's kingdom for somebody and to bring up conversation and to bring up questions about the kingdom of God and it's King Jesus. So every time you live out one of those previews, write it down, journal it. That's a reminder that we are sent. How many of you do any kind of journaling? That's what I thought. Not very many, and that's okay. Um, just real quickly about journaling. Journaling is a really awesome spiritual discipline. Um, you can. You can write down what God is showing you. You can write down questions you have for him. I have stuff in my journal that I'm mad at God about, right? Whatever, you can write down what you're praying for right now or answers to prayers that you've seen, you, uh, scriptures that stick out to you. Writing them down not only preserves them for the future, it helps you like process that stuff on a different level than just thinking about them once. Think about this, the best students are good note takers. Why? Because they experience the information three times, three ways, right? They hear it, they write it down, they read it later. So they're experiencing it three ways. So journaling is a great idea anyway. But for this week's challenge, it has a specific value. And that is that journaling is gonna help you see something that's already there. It's gonna help you see your true identity. You are sent. You are a missionary sent to, to share the good news. It's just like, I think we don't see it. And when you journal it, you'll see it. I'm gonna tell you a quick story. When I was a kid growing up, my dad loved to trade cars, right? So, I mean, we always had a new car. It was always changing cars, always changing cars. It was nothing for me to go to school with two cars in the driveway and come home with two different cars in the driveway. He loved trading cars. I don't know why, all kinds of trucks, van, didn't matter. He loved trading cars. One day I came home and there was a Mercedes. Now, some of you young people not know this, but this is 1977. Right, and so like I remember the wheel had just been invented and there was like some dinosaurs were still around or whatever, it was a long time ago, right? And so there weren't a lot of Mercedes on the road in Albuquerque, right? And so I come home and this car is there and it's like, whoa, what is that? And he goes, it's a Mercedes. You know, what, what do you know about them? And I said, I don't, isn't that what the Nazis drove? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know anything. I've never seen one. I don't think, I really don't think I've ever even seen one of those cars before. Oh, we had a long talk. Oh, they're high performance. Oh, they're really safe. Oh, they're these great cars. They're really expensive. So now we've had this conversation about it. Now I've ridden in one and the next day they were everywhere, right? They were all, from, from that day forward, there was a Mercedes, you couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting a Mercedes. They were everywhere. Were there more of them the next day than there were the day before? No, I would just, it just, this having one and like talking about it opened my eyes, right? It made me aware of something that was already there. And I'm telling you, when you journal, when you write down these ways that you preview the kingdom or, or the ways that you bless people or eat with people or things that you learned when you were learning Jesus that week or things that you heard when you listened to the Spirit that week, it opens up your eyes to the opportunities and questions that are out there. And it opens up your eyes to how God can use you and maybe is already using you to spread the good news of his kingdom. And you open your journal and you say, well, look at that, I did it, it's happening, man. I actually blessed three people four weeks in a row. Look at that, I actually learned stuff about Christ. I actually heard from the Holy Spirit. I actually previewed God's kingdom. I answered a question and I answered it respectfully and kindly and attractively and gently. So as you journal, as you write this stuff down, you begin to see that even if you aren't a bold public evangelist, you are sent. 
to share the good news of God's kingdom that's coming soon to a world near you. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you for this promise. I mean, we look around this world and it's so dirty and broken and ugly and full of hate and pain and death. Thank you for this promise that someday you will bring God's kingdom fully here and all of that stuff goes away and it's all peace and it's all love and it's all joy and it's all your presence. So thank you for that promise of your coming kingdom and thank you for making a way that we can be included as citizens. Thank you for choosing to bring your kingdom here through us. And I just pray, God, that we'll be changed by this thing, man. We don't wanna just do these things a couple of times, but these will become habits for us. That moving forward, we will, we will bless people and eat with people, that we will listen to your spirit, that we will study you, and that we will see that we are sent. Even if we're not big proclaimers, even if we're not public speakers, even if we're not bold evangelists, we are sent to tell the world the good news of your coming kingdom. Thank you for the promise. Thank you for including us as citizens. Thank you for bringing your kingdom through us. In your name, amen. Amen. Listen, thanks so much for being here. Quick announcement, we're having uh, baptisms after the next service, so if you've never been baptized and you wanna talk about that, I'll be hanging around after this. And that is it. God bless you guys. Go out this week and preview the kingdom of God for somebody.